Chapter 6 Pete Zitkowski. He was midway through his first term as mayor, brought a brash, flashy presence to local politics, something F-Town hadn't seen in years. A weaselly little guy, maybe 145 pounds, tops. He wore obnoxiously pinstriped suits. His hair was slick and shiny like his expensive Italian shoes. He managed to get himself into the newspaper more often than the local high school football team. Showed up to every ribbon-cutting or community event, shaking hands and preaching the gospel according to Pete. Fawcettville was on its way back to area economic domination, although that began long before he took office. Rumor had it that big fracking had bankrolled his election campaign, especially when tax rollbacks for construction of a fracking company's headquarters managed to easily worm its way through city council. But was that just the defeated thought process of voters who had been on the losing end of more than one economic scheme? He did seem to have some kind of hold on a lot of the movers and shakers in Fawcettville. Whatever he asked for, he got. From business leaders and fellow politicians, it was great for F-Town. There were new playgrounds in every city park. Long-neglected sidewalks and streets were being repaired and streetlights beamed again at night. But bitter conversation around water coolers all over town centered around who his honor had sold his soul to and when the bill would come due. That Mia wasn't as flashy as he was sort of surprised me. I figured someone that loud would want the same thing back home. From my experience, anyone who wanted a political career needed a spouse who was willing to campaign as hard as they did. But then again, maybe there was another side to Flashy Pete, and he wanted or needed to come home to something a little more low-key. The mayor's wife settled into her seat. How can I help you? I think my husband is involved with someone. She pulled a wadded Kleenex from her purse and dabbed at the corners of her eyes. What makes you think that? He leaves at night, doesn't tell me where he's going. When he comes back, it's late and he, he smells like... Like, she pressed the Kleenex against her mouth and tears formed in her eyes. Perfume? She shook her head. No. Like he's just showered. This time she nodded. If he's on city business like he claims it is, why is it that late at night and why would he need to shower afterwards? What other proof do you have? Any receipts or strain things on his credit card statements? She shook her head again. No. A wife just knows, you know. I steered Mia toward more concrete details. His schedule, the kind of car he drove. If there were any particular women she thought he might be seeing. She didn't have much to go on. But I built a business on wives who suspected a straying husband, only on the smell of fresh soap. They were very seldom wrong. I promised to look into it as soon as possible. Then I led her back to Mary Margaret's desk to sign a contract. I still needed to visit Anna Maria's commercial buildings to see what was going on. I stopped at the small storefront in Tubman Gardens first. It was a little yarn store called Pearls of Peace, with an apartment upstairs. A small bell tinkled as the door opened and chair legs scraped along the wooden floor in a back office. I expected a little old lady... Like my dear departed ma, God rest her soul. Corrective shoes and black Sicilian widow's weeds. Instead, a young woman appeared. Blue streaked through her long brown hair and a ring in her nose. 
A bulky, deep green turtleneck sweater clung to her like a hug. The sleeves were so long she clutched the cuffs in her hands as she came toward me. Her jeans were tight, and she had on heavy wool socks that looked handmade inside her Birkenstock sandals. She smiled broadly and then puckered her lips. Well, hello. You don't look like the kind of man who's interested in knitting. I smiled back at her, yanked for a few moments back into my prime when a proclivity for chasing tail built the reputation that still dogged me today. I collect blondes and bottles, too, just like Philip Marlowe. Who? Never mind. Are you looking for something in particular? She cocked her head and smiled again. This time her message was clear. Not what you think I am. I smiled back at her. Not yarn? With a sultry motion, she raked her blue hair out of her eyes. There was more on sale here than needles and sweater patterns. No, not yarn. I'm here to ask about your landlord, Anna Maria Ippolito. She dropped her eyes. I saw that in the papers. She was such a nice person. Do the police know who did it? Not yet. I'm Niccolo Fitzhugh. You can call me Fitz. I've been hired by the family to aid in the investigation. I handed her a business card. What's your name? Peace. Why doesn't that surprise me? Can we talk someplace private, Peace? She led me back to a small office behind the sales counter. The office wasn't much, a lot like the yarn store, an old desk, a bookshelf with a printer, and stacks of office supplies. In another corner, sealed bags of yarn lay in a heap beneath the clipboard, awaiting their time on the sales floor. Beside them was an old safe, its black door highlighted with gold scrollwork in the name of its original owner, and I would assume the original owner of the building, Giovanni Russo and Sons, quality Italian meats. What do you know about Miss Ippolito? Peace shrugged her shoulders. Now that I wasn't buying what she was selling, her entire demeanor changed. Not a whole lot. She came by the store at the first of the month for her checks. If I had any problems with the place, she had someone out fast enough. What about the upstairs apartment? What about it? Who lives up there? I do. Was she good about maintaining the apartment, too? Real good. She was going to remodel the bathroom this fall, but I doubt I'll be around to see it. Why is that? Yarn shops are a shoestring operation. I barely make enough money to feed myself, much less pay the rent on this place. I've been thinking about closing the doors for several months, then I'll get a few really good sales days, and that keeps me going until they threaten to turn off the electricity or the water, or the cost of yarn goes up. Do you know if Miss Ippolito was having any problems with anyone? Peace shook her head thoughtfully. No, I don't think so. Wait, when she came by on the first of the month, she stopped to chat with me. Her cell phone rang and she pulled it out of her purse to answer it. She got a real funny look on her face, just for a moment, you know, kind of scared and then covered it up with one of those funny smiles a person flashes when they don't want you to think something's wrong. I told her to go ahead and answer it, but she said it wasn't anything important and put it back in her purse. We talked for a few more minutes and then she left. And the next thing I know, I see her in the papers, murdered. What were you talking about before her phone call? She was thinking about signing up for one of my beginner's knitting classes, and I had to cancel it, lack of interest. I nodded. Knitting seemed like a rather grandmotherly activity for someone who enjoyed haggling with merchants in the world marketplaces. Was she thinking of slowing down a little bit, or was she just trying to learn something new? Anna Maria wasn't an open book with her life, much more discreet. 
If you asked her something about her personal life, she would answer honestly, but I always got the impression she didn't volunteer anything more than was absolutely necessary. Since we weren't exclusive or all that involved, I didn't pry. Thanks for your time. If you have any more information you think might be helpful, just call me, okay? I reached out to shake her hand. She nodded. Her fingers lingered a little longer than necessary in my palm. Let me know if you ever want to make something warm and snuggly. Her blue hair fell across her face again as she raked it out of her eyes. She gave me another come-hither smile. I'll do that. The next stop was the gray concrete building, tucked back in a light industrial area on the west end of town. It looked exactly like it had on the county auditor's website, was surrounded by other concrete buildings of varying sizes and purposes. A couple auto body shops, a larger tool and die operation, a trucking firm. I parked the excursion in one of the slanted parking spaces and looked at the name painted in black letters on the front window. Baglio, Drayton, Sepiento, and more. CPA. Maybe I'd get lucky and these folks had more information on their landlady than peace. The woman at the front desk was on the phone, didn't see me as I came in the front door, giving me time to take in the neutrally painted walls, the expensive leather couch, and the mahogany coffee table. Beneath a painting that looked like it belonged in the hotel lobby, a fancy coffee maker sat on a small table next to a stack of white coffee cups. A basket of individually wrapped cookies were on the other side. An engraved nameplate at the corner of the receptionist's desk said her name was Julia Mazzaros. She turned around to hang up and jumped like she'd seen a ghost. Sorry, Julia, I didn't mean to scare you. No, no, that's okay. I just didn't hear you come in. Do you have an, uh, an appointment? She smiled nervously. No, no, I don't. Lay off the espresso, sweetheart. You're entirely too nervous for an accounting firm. How can I help you? I handed her a business card. Niccolo Fitzhugh, Fitzhugh Investigations. I'm here to ask some questions about Anna Maria Ippolito. Julia's eyebrows arched. Anna Maria, our landlady? Yes, she was murdered the other day. Oh no. She covered her mouth with her hand. I'm so sorry to hear that. I've been hired by the family to help aid in the investigation. Is there someone I can talk to about Miss Ippolito? Let me see. Uh, our managing partner might be able to help you, uh, Rosario Drayton. She stood and walked down a dark-paneled hallway to one of the doors. She was back momentarily and gestured for me to follow her into an office at the end of the hall. Inside, it was paneled in the same dark wood as the hallway. There was a wide desk with a large computer, more expensive leather chairs, and a wall of expensively bound books. Rosario Drayton was tall and striking, filling the room with her power. Julia shrank in her presence. She wore a severe black suit with her dark hair pinned up in a bun. Her full lips and long fingernails were flaming red, and her eyebrows had a sardonic arch. There was something dark and powerful, yet deeply sexy about her. Her handshake was uncomfortably firm, but brief. As I retrieved my hand, I shook it to ease the pain of her grip. Whoever this broad was, she'd never get those hands on the family jewels. I was certain of that. Hello, Mr. Fitzhugh. Please sit down. How can I help you? <laughs> 